Good morning, everybody. This is Omar Serrano with the Tilted Lawyer Podcast, episode 46. I'm back. I'm alive. I've made it. Um, thank you for all of the well-wishers and people that were inquiring about my whereabouts. Um, I've been just fine. I just took a much-needed hiatus, but it, it, none of that is important. Right now, we're here to talk about the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp documentary. Netflix is streaming, or has been streaming for about a couple of weeks now. Um, people are upset about it. I wanted to talk about it. I never really covered this case in much depth, but we're going to do that today. Uh, coming up next, let's get started. Whatever you might be going through and wherever you might be, this is Omar Serrano with the Tilted Lawyer Podcast. I'm here to take your mind off of things. Yes, I'm an attorney. No, I'm not giving you legal advice. I'm going to sit and talk like people as these are the candid thoughts of one practicing attorney and it's after hours. So have a seat. Feel free to have a drink and join me. Let's get started. Well, how are you, everybody? It's been um, about a, well, almost a month since we posted our last episode. And if you guys recall, um, up around that time, I was going through, well, I just had a lot on my plate, professionally speaking. I had um, a bunch of trials that I was doing. I had a bunch of cases. There was a lot of complicated litigation that I had to uh, take on. And so being able to navigate my professional career with my very amateurish uh, YouTube uh, radio podcast, um, it just seemed a little impossible. Plus, I was going through a significant amount of burnout um, just dealing with some of the cases that we had gone through. And for the sake of my mental health, I decided uh, that, well, perhaps a um, sabbatical was in order. And so that's what happened. That's what happened. But <clears throat> so much has happened since I've been away. And to be honest with you, I've been very, very comfortable and uh, happy to not have to pay attention to any of it. Although I did uh, pay attention to some of the major stuff. Um, you can't really miss, if you are a fan of my kind of content, if you are a fan of true crime stuff, uh, TV, trials, courtroom dramas, all of those kinds of things. It was kind of undeniable that you were going to uh, become aware of the Netflix documentary, Depp v. Heard. So it was a, they didn't really offer anything new. It wasn't, it wasn't going into the legal complexities of defamation cases and how those relate to celebrities and the way that you might accrue damages and the way that you might win that kind of a case. Way back when I just started this podcast, um, I very briefly covered um, during the trial some of the things that were going on in that case. Specifically, it was more related to trial presentation. Amber Heard's attorneys uh, just made a number of significant mistakes in that trial. But looking back on it, now, having had time to digest a lot of that stuff, I think they were kind of hamstrung by the evidence that they were allowed to present and by the strength of their case overall. I talk a lot about uh, domestic violence cases uh, because I'm so... I'm not, I'm not sure what percentage of my cases imprise 
domestic violence situations, but it's a pretty good chunk. Um, I deal with it regularly, and I, I deal with it in a couple of different contexts. There's the first where there's a legitimate case of domestic violence where I have legitimate safety concerns over my clients because they have legitimately um, been physically harmed or are in the process of being physically harmed or are having their lives destroyed because of some mental anguish that they're forced to put up with because of whatever mental anguish they might be subjected to uh, by virtue of um, their situation at home. I would say that 80% of the domestic violence restraining order request that I get in my office, um, very few of them actually turn into permanent restraining orders. That's not to say that there wasn't domestic violence incidents. It's just to say that something was going on. Maybe they just broke up. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe somebody found out somebody was cheating. Maybe a lot of things happened uh, to set somebody off, but perhaps the couple just needed a breather and um, to cool down a little bit before cooler heads prevailed and everybody could move on with their lives and adjust to the new realities of their lives, which is I'm no longer with this person. Uh, now I'm having to pay child support and deal with custody orders um, I accept that this relationship is over and I'm ready to move on. That kind of thing takes time, especially in the context of relationships, whether it be a brand new relationship where you're in the throes of all the chemical stuff that is going on in your brain that biologically ties you to a person and sets you up for a long-term relationship. And then you're disappointed when that didn't come out uh, or come to fruition because of well, it just wasn't in the cards or wasn't meant to be. And you're, you're dealing with, you're having to deal with the separation and the throes of all of those chemical explosions happening in your brain. Or you devote, devoted 10, 15, 20 years to an individual and it ended in peril. And you're having to cope with how different your life might have been had you not fallen for that stupid ass line that they dropped when they approached you that first time or had you just given this other guy a chance he was a nicer guy but he wasn't exactly what you were looking for at the time but in retrospect he might have been something you would have preferred over what you actually got who knows man life is a complicated endeavor and yet we're all here and johnny depp amber heard this couple um I've never in my life been one to dive into celebrity drama. It's really something that's thrown and forced down our throats, or they try to at least. You have to silence them. If you're on social media, um, they used to, back in the 80s and 90s, they had like uh, Entertainment Tonight, and they would have full-on one-hour shows, documentary style, like the reporting the news, and then that turned into E! Entertainment, where, um, or what's that other one where they have... Um, I forget what the show is. Um, that guy with the shirt and then that one guy with the dreads, and they're always talking about stuff. I'm, it's it's, it's uh, escaping me at the moment, but you don't need me to tell you that there are plenty of outlets, plenty of people out there that are going about covering entertainment news. This episode that we heard, this trial, happened to bring about a 
fascinating legal discussion involving what happens when a female falsely accuses a male of committing acts of domestic violence against them. What are the dangers? What could happen? Um, I remember talking about this in the context of the Me Too movement where (coughs) around 2014, 2015, whenever it was that Donald Trump um, decided that he was going to run for president, he said a number of things that got a number of groups upset. I don't know or pretend to know um, the exact origin of the Me Too movement, but a lot of it was well-intentioned. It was meant to give voice to people or victims of domestic violence who were afraid to come forward or were afraid of the consequences of how they would be perceived if they were to come forward. Um, But it gave, it sought to give them a voice to finally stand up to people like Harvey Weinstein, where I'll put you in my movie, but oh, you're going to do some things that you're not going to like, and you're going to feel really icky after it. And But hey, you don't want to? Then fine. I, won't, I don't have to change your life. I don't have to give you this glamorous celebrity lifestyle. Go, ahead, go back to your peasant lifestyle that you are accustomed to, and I will keep on being Harvey Weinstein. Or you can sit on my casting couch and do what I say. And that had been the attitude of um, a lot of Hollywood Going all the way back to the 1910s, there's this podcast that I listen to. Um, it is called, uh, gosh, I love that show. Whenever I'm on a long drive, I got I to gotta find, I don't want to miss this one or get this one wrong. Um, you must remember this. They talk about historical aspects of Hollywood and they talk about what it was like in the 1900s and the 1910s back when we were producing silent films and um, how the entire culture, celebrity culture, evolved, how it got started, going from the 1910s all the way to present day 2023. There's probably 100-plus episodes in there. A lot of it is fascinating. It's really good to just listen to the history of Hollywood because it reflects so much of how us as a people, as social creatures, has evolved. And, well... Around 2014, 2015, Me Too really decided, it just really exploded into the public consciousness by way of Harvey Weinstein, but then they kind of took it too far. It's like, okay, well now, anytime any woman feels slightly uncomfortable, the guy that has made her feel uncomfortable is a predator. And um, I will never forget um, the comedian... Aziz and sorry. So the story goes, he was on a date with this lady and they, he, you know, he met them wherever he, he met her, wherever he met her, but he took her out on a date and, you know, it was a first date and they go out to eat. They're having a good time. They go back to his place. If you know who Aziz and sorry is, is he's, um, a lot of people really like him. He's got a really big following, a really big audience. Um, I don't particularly find him all that funny, but he has his moments. But he's a, you know, he's a, he doesn't, I mean, I, I, it's hard to say what he's like as a person by judging his onstage persona. But he's been around. You know, people know who he is. So he gets this young lady back to his place, 
and you know things are progressing and they ended up having sex and afterwards maybe it wasn't so great maybe it wasn't what she expected maybe she was feeling a little impulsive in the moment but now she's regretting it maybe she's having a little buyer's remorse but all of a sudden she gives an interview to this media outlet that reports that um, she felt pressured and violated and um, preyed upon by Aziz Ansari because she felt pressured into having sex and she did it. But then you talk to her a little bit more and it's like, well, he didn't really pressure me. I mean, I kind of gave in. I didn't really tell him no. We just kind of went with it. And, you know, and afterwards I felt really bad about it, which a, um, Sex is a really complicated thing. And that specific mental note that she described where she kind of wants to, but she kind of doesn't want to, is not exclusive to women. The difference is most of the time, uh, men have uh, full control of whether or not it's going to happen or not if that is what's on offer. Women, very understandably, oftentimes... Uh, do not have the uh, reasonable knowledge that they have an ability to consent or not. I understand when women say that they feel pressured, but then to turn it in to what she turned it into, which was, you know, we kind of went along with it, and then things are going on, and then, yeah, I sort of had sex with the guy, but I felt really bad about it, and you know what? He shouldn't have made me feel that way. I feel like he pressured me into doing something I want to do. No, I didn't tell him no, but that's just kind of what happened, and I thought I should talk about it. When it came out, I remember seeing those headlines. I was like, really? Aziz Ansari? Um, and the way that it was presented to the public was as if he had committed an act of sexual assault against her. Now, I represent uh, victims of sexual assault. I represent defendants of sexual assault. I know what that is, and I know what it isn't. Um, And oftentimes when I'm defending people against these claims, it's because people misinterpret what a sexual assault is or what it should be. Now, this young lady, let me just paint the picture. If you were a guy or if you were a girl, and the person that you were on a date with, maybe they want to have sex with you, maybe they don't. But they make no verbal or physical indication that they are 100% opposed, maybe they're on the fence. Maybe they kind of want to, but maybe they kind of don't, and then they just kind of go along with it because that's what's happening today. If one of the people in that scenario decides, ah, maybe I shouldn't have done that, should we accuse the other party of a sexual assault? Because that is the exact scenario that took place with the NZ's and sorry case, and not to get too deep in the woods with that, I know we're here to talk about Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard, but that's essentially what happened in that scenario. Did we call that a sexual assault? The legal definition is fuzzy because it all has to deal with consent. Would And really the defense is this. If you are accused of a sexual assault, what the prosecution has to prove is that a reasonable person similarly situated in your exact same scenario would have known or had reason to know or should have known 
that she did not consent uh, to what you were offering. And if the prosecution is able to prove that, well then, you're guilty. If they can't, because a reasonable person would not have known, and let's just say this is how that comes up. In this and Z's and sorry scenario, this young lady never said no verbally. She never made any physical indications telling him that she was not cool with what was happening. Then how was he supposed to know that she wanted to stop? If she just merely went with it and then wanted to accuse him of a sexual assault after the fact, is that fair? In the case of Ansari, the answer is no. Nothing really came of that. And that young lady took a lot of heat for making those accusations or even bringing up. There's also the famous case of Morgan Freeman where there was this, I, I once covered this on, I don't know, maybe 20 episodes ago, 30 episodes ago about where this lady accused Morgan Freeman of uh, making sexual remarks uh, to her. And uh, we, she, was on, she went on CNN and she came prepared with a clip that she wanted to show. I'm not going to pull that clip right here. Um, I don't have that kind of time. But if you want to look it up, just look up the Morgan Freeman uh, accused of um, sexual harassment on the workplace. And you'll find uh, this video that was played on CNN. And then it's literally, she makes a comment to some other guy and uh, it was funny. And Morgan Freeman says, oh, I would have loved to see that. And then she claimed that that was like a sexual remark. It's just so ridiculous. And you could tell after they played that video, the hosts were like, okay, so uh, where is the punchline? And so, it, it didn't go anywhere, but that's kind of where we were taking this. So circling all the way back, um, here we are, Amber Heard. She makes some comments in a media publication that says that she was a victim of domestic violence. She was a domestic violence um, survivor, and I'm not going to go into all of the um, details of that article. Uh, you, if you want, you can look it up. Um, but she basically said that she was a victim. Johnny Depp was a terrible person. Um, and she is a survivor, and uh, she's speaking out and giving voice to all of these victims of domestic violence. And as a result of that, Johnny Depp brings this lawsuit um, for defamation, which is basically said, you said things that were untrue about me that hurt my professional career and cost me millions of dollars, and therefore I'm suing. That's what the heart of a defamation case is. Of course, um, one of the defenses to that accusation for Amber Heard was, well, I was telling the truth. It wasn't lies. And so that's basically what the trial was about. So I thought that the format for this documentary was brilliant, actually. Um, a lot of people complain, well, there wasn't a lot of legal um, professionals, experts commenting on it. That's, that's all kind of been, you know, there was plenty of that when the, the trial actually went down. It was covered ad nauseum um, there's not really much more to say on the matter other than to address what this trial meant to the general pop uh, populace and um, how it shaped the attitudes going forward um, based on the subject matter and so the way that they spliced this together was they took footage from the trial and they tried to you know because the way the trial goes it's very choppy First, the, the plaintiff goes, and the defense goes, and the plaintiff goes again, then the defense, and then cross and redirect, blah, blah, blah. So they just kind of put this all on a timeline and spliced her story together with his story. So they were talking about the same things at the same time, which offered, I thought, 
a um, compelling narrative for the timeline of everything that happened in a way that you wouldn't have got just, you know, watching the trial live. Um, they, in the very first episode, talked about, oh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, it's a love story. And they talked about their careers and their relationships and how they met on this one movie and it was like love at first sight or whatever. And, you know, things quickly escalated and it tries to paint it as, you know, the beginning of what would ultimately be I don't know if you call it a tragic relationship, but let's just call it a tumultuous relationship. Um, they started, they did this interesting thing where they where they talked about the impact of social media. And then they kind of spliced in all of these YouTubers that were commenting on the trial. And to be honest with you, I felt really gross knowing that I have a YouTube show that I briefly commented i did not cover this trial in depth every day sitting there the way that a lot of other people were um i, I spent maybe a good 15 30 minutes on the trial um over the course of the six weeks but they focused on social media youtubers law tubers whatever um that were commenting it on the case at the same time and what they kind of set up was how people on social media were starting to pick sides. And the overwhelming majority of the public sentiment was sympathetic with Johnny Depp. And I remember talking about why that was at the time. What was it about Amber Heard that was so unlikable? And it was really simple. She got caught red-handed in a multitude of lies. I remember there's there was this thing about she got the makeup wrong and don't fact check me on any of this because I'm not I did not go back and review that six week trial. I'm just going off of pure memory that there was a thing that she got wrong with the makeup that showed that she was lying about a certain thing. There was other instances where they played that audio where she literally admitted to punching Johnny Depp in the face or I forget the famous line was I did not hit you or punch you, I slapped you or something like you're being a big baby about it. And, you know, all of those kinds of things. None of those pieces of evidence really got in on the Johnny Depp side. There was a significant bit of evidence that seemed to corroborate that Johnny Depp actually did commit acts of domestic violence against Amber Heard that didn't, for whatever reason, never made its way into trial for reasons that I'll never understand. Um, but I'll talk about that a little bit later um, in the show. Um, they talked about in that first episode, um, they, they just made a, a real point of pointing out the fans and social media influencers um, talking about the case and how like everybody was starting to gear up the case and they started to call this like the, the trial of the century and they made parallels to the O.J. Simpson case, which... You know, I was around for O.J. Simpson back in the 94 trials. I was a freshman in high school at that time. I was there for, you know, the years preceding that for the L.A. riots, uh, the Rodney King case. I saw all of those, those things unfold as a youth, um, and I would not put this case on that level in terms of international impact. But perhaps I'm wrong. It was just different. It, it was a... It certainly was impactful, just in a much 
different, broader way, I guess, in a celebrity kind of way. A way. Um, episode two, they talked about, um, well, that's when they talked about the trial. And they started to get into more of the testimony. So now they, they, they set up the whole thing, uh, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, and their relationship. And then all of a sudden they're married. And then Amber Heard thinks that, she's, uh, that Johnny's cheating on her. Um, and they, she takes the stand in the documentary. And um, it's kind of episode two is, is where the most shocking moments of the documentary really start to play out. Uh, for the first time, they start to have this side-by-side testimony um, and they're not giving commentary, and I think that frustrated a lot of people that were watching the documentary, which I think was fine because I, I think similar to uh, what happened at trial, people are going to form their own opinions, but they presented the evidence in more of a straightforward, straight-laced kind of a way because what happens is, and I remember during the trial, is like there would be some bombshell piece of evidence, like, for example, the uh, audio where Amber Heard is admitting to um, slapping Johnny Depp or punching him or whatever she did. And then the media spent like a couple days just kicking her around um, on social media, on the news outlets, on the media outlets and the like, and just really bringing, building up this huge wave of garbage being heaped on Amber Heard's uh, head uh, because of that. And then it, you know, it just, they kind of kept on piling on. Um, and I think... Here's my take on it. Amber Heard, if you listen to her testimony, people were commenting on, oh, she's an actor. She's a professional actor. Listen, people, whenever you take the stand, you are 100% acting. It's a natural thing to do that you're trying to put on an air. You're trying to tell your story and you're trying to tell it in a way of what your truth is. If you were emotionally affected by something, you've spent months dealing with whatever happened. You're not going to have the same emotional um, affect uh, that you had when the moment originally happened. And so what, do you, what is your human instinct? It's to, when you're on the stand, you're trying to play up your emotions for the judge and for the jury. I've never seen a witness in a trial that isn't acting. It doesn't happen. Um, there are better actors than others. Sure, but if you think that Johnny Depp wasn't also acting um, when he was giving his testimony, then you're sorely mistaken. Um, I'll tell you what, Amber Heard, she gets on the stand. I think that the problem with her testimony was simply that it wasn't true. If she could have been more forthcoming, um, and and the the problem with saying the things that she said is that she had to seem like the ultimate victim in this case. And so she had a tendency to dramatize a lot of her testimony and she would get up there and she would start crying and then she would go on cross-examine. Camila Vasquez, I think that was her name, um, was a very adept cross-examiner and um, all of her questions were built to pummel her and draw upon and distract from whether or not there was instances of domestic violence or not. I remember that Camila Vasquez very skillfully um, got the conversation off of was there domestic violence or not? And they put it on, hey, Amber Heard was lying about donating to these foundations because she confused the word uh, pledge with give. And so she never actually gave money. She pledged money, and those are not the same thing. She is a liar. I remember that a significant amount of time 
was spent towards uh, bullying Amber Heard about lying the fact she gave millions of dollars to this organization, which why did they do that? What was the point? What was the actual benefit of a jury hearing that? Nothing more than to detract from her credibility. Amber Heard is a liar. Look, she lied about pledging all of this money or giving this money to organizations that she never did that at all. She cannot be trusted. Not a single word that she says, which... If any of you have been alive uh, and reached uh, the age of uh, adulthood, then I would argue that we've all come to realize that, look, there is, the, there is your side, there is their side, and then there's the truth. And uh, that's just how it always is. There's a three sides to every story. And um, I, I, I reluctantly offer my opinion about Amber Heard's testimony in that, I believe that she was truthful when she said certain things. I believe that Johnny Depp definitely committed acts of abuse against her. There was a text message that never made it to trial that I believe came up in the UK case um, that seemed to corroborate her story about getting kicked in the back and falling to the ground in front of a series of people. And then the judge didn't allow that because it was too prejudicial to Johnny Depp's case. And then I remember watching, I was watching it with my wife. She's like, why didn't that get in? And uh, my response to her, they hadn't, you know, it was like, I don't know, maybe they thought it was cumulative evidence. Maybe they thought it wasn't relevant to the issue of defamation. Um, But it was certainly relevant to the veracity of her statements, which in a case where they went for the jugular on her credibility would have been wholly um, relevant to the plaintiff's case in the defamation trial that the Netflix series covered. So why didn't that evidence get in? I don't know. I think the judge made a mistake. She wouldn't be the first judge to make a mistake. And that's just kind of how it went. But, you know, if I look at these two uh, side by side, there was that there there was certainly that video where uh, Johnny Depp was kind of acting like a maniac and um he admitted during the trial that he had substance abuse issues. If you've ever lived with somebody like that that has substance abuse issues, it well it look it looks really familiar. Um he was slamming doors and he was he had a mega pint of wine and Johnny Depp was really good at making his cross-examiner look like an idiot because Johnny Depp is a likable, charismatic guy. And then, you know, uh, the, the, I remember the cross-examiner brings up the megapint question. And then um, it's like, megapints? He kind of laughs it off. And everybody in the courtroom kind of laughs it off because it was kind of funny. It's like, oh, there's, you know, what's wrong with that? I mean, what is a megapint? And, you know, um, but it was distracting but it was endearing to the general public because Johnny Depp was able to make people laugh. Amber Heard was not taking that route. She was trying to seem, you know, the, the, the victim in this case, and she was trying to paint herself as this, you know, she was trying to paint the picture of a case of domestic violence where she was in real danger and trying to uh, dampen the entire trial with this aura Um, that she escaped a real danger to her life, her and her sister, her and her family, and all these things. And Johnny Depp just basically gets in there and says, well, it's all bullshit, you know, and this lady's crazy. Isn't she so crazy? Look, she can't even get the truth straight about whether or not she actually donated to uh, this charity or not. 
Um, and then, you know, the thing about the makeup and all the things, it just allowed uh, the defense a lot of opportunity to pile on, and Johnny Depp was really good at uh, capitalizing on that and uh, fighting back against his cross-examiner, who just really wasn't very good. There was some point where he kept on objecting to hearsay, and then Johnny Depp was like, oh, I guess that's hearsay, and I'm not going to play that clip again. But um, he, he was just really good. And if you put them side by side, which they were, um, during the trial, Johnny Depp, he wins. Because on the Christmas scale, he's a 10 out of 10. Johnny Amber Heard is just nuts. And that's not a knock on her. There's very few people in life that you'll ever meet that have a 10 out of 10 charisma and the ones that usually do. Um, it's obvious. You know, Amber Heard um, has different talents, but charisma is not one of them. So the third episode, they started to get into the, to the uh, closing arguments. Um, they kind of did a real ham job about talking about the tensions of the emotions of the trial and how it was all uh, culminating into this uh, online frenzy. Um, and um, they started to ask questions about the roles that social media played. They, they had these clips where the attorneys were being interviewed. They're asking the defense, do they think that the social media had any role in dictating the results of the trial. And of course, Amber Heard's attorney was, oh, absolutely. It would have been impossible unless you're living under a rock. How could you possibly not feel the wave of support uh, for Johnny Depp and feel the wave of uh, terror that is being heaped upon Amber Heard for everybody piling on? Um, and then you juxtapose that with a Johnny Depp's attorney. He's like, oh, no, well, the jury was admonished every single day, and I think they followed their job, which it's a very lawyerly thing to say. I think that the, the plaintiff, Amber Heard's attorney's explanation was a lot better. I always wonder, you know, if the jury is not being sequestered and they're allowed to go back home as they were um, in this case because it was a six-week-long trial, who's really checking up on them to see if they haven't caught a glimpse of what's going on in social media with the case? Um, I imagine that they must have at least felt it. Because even if you're trying to not pay attention to any of that case, as I was not trying to pay attention to that case, um, but I I was eventually pulled in because everybody was talking about that case. And then it got me curious. And then you find all of these clips on YouTube and all these people. Um, and that's another thing, man. Oh, the commentators, the social media influencers. That's the point where I really just felt icky about the whole thing. Um, Emily D. Baker... I am a subscriber to her channel. And the documentary was trying to highlight, it's like, oh, everybody is getting rich off of this case. No, they're not. They're just not. Lots of subscribers, lots of uh, views for the videos. Oh, sure, but I mean, you know, um, I think they overstated how much media people, YouTubers, uh, podcasters were uh, benefiting from that case because, you know, it's like a once in a lifetime. I don't know. I, I've, I've come to learn that uh, views and likes and um, subscribers, they come in waves. If it wasn't Amber Heard versus Johnny Depp, it would have been something else. I mean, back in the day, I mean, back in the day, like a year ago, they were, they were also talking about um, Daryl Brooks. Um, I got, my channel got a big boost 
mostly from that case, the Daryl Brooks case that was going on, uh, the uh, sovereign citizen guy that ran over um, a bunch of people at a Waukesha County uh, Christmas parade uh, a couple of years back. Um, really, that's how my channel started to grow. It had nothing to do with Depp v. Hurt. I mean, back then I was doing a lot of different content, mostly geared around um, legal explanations of things, which I still do. I just do it in a lot more uh, casual way. Um, I've learned, you know, what kind of what people are looking for since then. Um, but I, I really think the documentary overplayed that. But they did not overplay uh, the impact of how social media represented the views, the perspective views of the collective people. Most, I don't know if it's still the case or not after this documentary, but at the time, it was like 80-20 in favor of Johnny Depp. Most people were like, hey, justice for Johnny Depp. And I remember that whole group, that whole crew. The people that were supporting Amber Heard were a lot fewer. And a matter of fact, she even took a lot of flack from people that were actual victims of domestic violence um, because of, you know, what they perceived to be her lies. Um, and I'll get into, at the end of all of this, what I think actually happened between the two of them. But, you know, people took sides. The documentary asked questions about how much social media can distort the facts, sensationalize issues, and contribute to a divisive atmosphere. And this is where it, it just kind of feels a bit icky. Watching that Netflix series and seeing just the different kinds of people that were commenting, I don't watch those particular channels that were not, you know, legal-based, but they're, you know, the social influencers. Like, there's a guy that was wearing, like, a Spider-Man mask. I'm like, what is that about? Who is this guy? And he spoke in this very sensationalized voice. He sounded like a younger guy. Um, and he was very passionate about, you know, the sides that he was taking. And he was really going all in on Amber Heard, calling her a liar. There was this guy in that Netflix show that had long hair and was wearing this wrinkled, dirty shirt. He looks like he just rolled out of bed and he's commenting on the case and he makes it into this Netflix documentary. There was this, you know, there, there was a lot of a lot of the commentators that I saw were not experts, except for Emily D. Baker, who is a lawyer. She used to be a prosecutor. Um, she was, matter of fact, I subscribed to her channel. Um, I don't remember because of this case or not, but um, she had purple hair. I was like, who is this lady? Um, and she has a, she definitely has a style. Um, but she she does produce good content. She covered it, and she did give expert opinions. Um, and she did kind of break down some of the legal happenings, but a lot of her audience, um, I think, came from some of these other social media influencers. People like her. I don't know if it's the purple hair. You know, she just has a very um, casual, funny style. Um, but, you know, she was one of many. The majority of commentators were not experts. They weren't lawyers. They're just people with opinions. And then what ended up happening is that if you... Uh, were a champion of Me Too, you kind of had to take a couple of different angles. Either you're going to support Amber Heard and say that, yeah, the establishment is putting down women, and this is just another example of it because that's kind of the explanation that Amber Heard gave at the end of all of this, is that, you know, this it just sucks for women because here I am trying to stand up for what happened to me and, you know, talk about what happened, and people are piling on on me because they love Johnny Depp. And it's not fair, and it sucks for women. That's one angle of it. The other angle is it of it is that there were other people from the Me Too movement or actual victims of domestic violence to say that, you know what? How disrespectful of you 
to take your experiences and tell these lies about this man who obviously didn't do any of those things to you and call yourselves a victim. You have no idea what it's like to be a victim of domestic violence. And they really went all in on her. Um, and I think the division was, there was definitely this undercurrent of frustration with that particular movement. And it has exploded into something that I don't fully understand. I understand that men are angry at women who bring false accusations against men because it could put their life in peril. If you've ever been on trial for a sexual assault or been accused of domestic violence and have had to defend yourself in court and bring up all of the dirt on your relationship that occurred, um, have text messages re read, um, detailing your private life out in front of a judge and a couple of lawyers and a jury, it is not um, a fun experience. I personally have never had to go through that, but I've obviously been a part of many of these trials. It is deeply embarrassing to go through for one, but for two, to be accused of something like that. Um, the anxiety from people that are genuinely innocent of the charges, it just, I mean, you feel it, and it, it, it affects them. It affects the way that their work life, their home life, um, you know, it ages them probably. I couldn't imagine it not. Um, until it's actually over, um, it is just a startling thing to occur in your life. I have uh, witnessed genuine acts of domestic violence as a child. I saw my mom have to go through this kind of stuff. I know what real domestic violence looks like, and I know what it isn't. Um, I have seen real physical domestic violence, and it is scary. And I'm not going to detail everything that happened, but I've seen it. And uh, for those people, you know, I've represented women like that that have those kinds of cases. Those are the, easy case, the easier cases because there's usually evidence. There's usually evidence of injuries and, you know, um, the, the, the evidence is not hard to come by. But it's these other cases where there is no injuries, where it's like, let's just say it's maybe it's mental. Um, maybe, maybe the domestic violence is mental because of uh, the way that she's being manipulated and, you know, told that she is lesser than, you know, and if she ever leaves me, then nobody's going to want you. And, you know, that is also a form of domestic violence. I mean, it's a very broad term. The Family Code descri describes it. The 6200 series under the Family Code in California describes domestic violence as basically anything that will disturb your peace. It could be mean text messages. It could be mean insults. It could be uh, the way that you're talked to. It could be being placed in the fear that something unsafe is going to happen to you. It could be a lot of different things. Um, if you ask me about what was actually going on with Depp v. Heard, I think they both abused each other. I think that if you listen to some of the video and audio that was played in the trial of Johnny Depp being a maniac, you know, um, acting a certain way, I don't doubt that he probably did at certain points put his hands on her. Johnny Depp does not strike me as the kind of guy um, that knows how to defend himself without going into a full fight. I've talked about this a lot where, you know, some guys that have like a martial arts background, if you try to fight them and you're a girl, they don't have to hurt you to like calm the situation. 
it could just hold you there until you're calm and then everybody kind of cools down or whatnot. People that haven't had that experience don't know how to do that. Well, then they're just going to use whatever they can to gain the upper hand, which is going to include their strength, which is going to include them striking with hands or feet or throwing things or, you know, just doing things like that because um, they just don't have the experience to know how to do anything else. So it ends up escalating further than it needs to. And so I don't doubt for a second uh, that Johnny Depp probably did put his hands on her at some point. And then I think, um, I don't know. And I'd, I'd rather not get into all of my opinions about, you know, because I, I, I genuinely don't know. Nobody really knows what happened. I'm just going to say that I think that he did commit acts of domestic violence against her. But Amber Heard also did the same. And so if you wanted to categorize uh, acts of domestic violence or cases of domestic violence, I think you could put it into one, there's a genuine safety concern. And that can occur with both men and women. Oftentimes I've used uh, the example of, you know, it's easy to envision how a man could abuse a woman physically. But what if, you know, no matter how big or small the lady is, uh, she breaks into her ex-boyfriend's house and is standing over him as he wakes up with a butcher knife. Well, that is also an act of domestic violence. That is not the same as a, a, a all-out physical assault of an individual. They, that, that's one category. The second category is I found oftentimes that when there is mutual domestic violence on both sides and it's not so bad as to put people in actual danger and I know the scoreboard the scoreboard in this case was Johnny Depp lost I, I think the tip of his finger on a, a wine bottle that was thrown at him or chucked at him by Amber Heard or something like that um, he had legitimate bruises on his face from things that Amber Heard had did to him um, Amber claimed to have bruises but then you know there was some indication that maybe she painted that on her face and I'm not even going to get into it. I don't want to really relitigate it. I don't care. But I'm aware that both of these people probably walked away with injuries. Johnny Depp's was well documented. He lost a body part, um, severely injured or whatnot. Um, when men and women are in that kind of relationship, the violence that occurs often mimics what happens with siblings. My, I have a three-year-old and a four-year-old. They fight, they bicker, you know, and right now it's like baby fighting. I imagine when they get older, a little bit older, if they do fight, it's going to get a lot, you know, maybe they throw stuff, maybe they, I don't know, claw at each other, who knows, but then they're friends afterwards. That's what siblings do. So I feel like a lot of what happened in this situation was just basically that. But here's the thing. If it's mutual domestic violence, if I were to bring um, a domestic violence restraining order request on, say, Amber Heard's behalf. Based on her pleadings, they would have granted her a temporary restraining order. I don't remember if there was restraining orders involved in this case or not. I don't care. But they would have granted her restraining order just on the basis of what she claimed. And then Johnny Depp would have came in and brought this whole thing. I think if you throw this in front of a judge, is there a clear and present danger? Um, is, you know, she really fearful of what he's going to do to him? Is she also contributing to it? Is she doing things to him? It's going to be one of two outcomes. It's either going to be um, a mutual restraining order against the parties, against each other, or it's just going to be dismissed as like, you know what? It's over. 
It's done. You guys are both fighting with each other. I've seen cases in family law where the evidence came out and it was literally um, one guy comes in, he wants to take the family safe because they're getting a divorce and the lady doesn't want him to take the safe and so she tries to stand in his way and then he tries to push her out of the way and he pushes her into the wall and then she jumps on his back and then they're all just kind of wrestling um, and the guy gets the upper hand and then he takes the safe and he walks away. Now she claims that that's an act of domestic violence. Is it? Um, the answer is yes, but is it such that we're going to impose a temporary or a permanent restraining order on the guy, um, in that scenario, in this case, the judge said no, because it was kind of, he basically said, you guys are both being idiots. What are you guys doing? You guys are both idiots. And all of this is happening in front of a child. Um, so the judge has to make a call, you know, is, is the guy really menacing against her? Is he? Or is it the girl or what's really going on in a case like that where there's so much noise on both sides? He's, you know what? Um, you guys aren't together anymore. You guys aren't living together anymore. How far apart do you live? You know what? I'm just going to dismiss the case. If something else happens, call me. But for right now, I'm not granting this. I feel like that's what would have happened in this case. So the reviews of the documentary, overwhelmingly negative. If you read some of the reviews of the documentary, I mean, just the general takeaways, uh, was that the documentary, number one, it failed to provide new insights and falls short in exploring the wider conversation about domestic abuse and victim blaming that arose uh, from Johnny Depp and Amber Heard's trial, which I disagree with that. Um, but that came out. I'll get into some of this, this what their arguments were. Um, but one article says that the documentary offers little beyond putting Depp and Heard's testimony side by side. And my argument, my... Uh, Retort <clears throat> to that would be like, well, what else would you want? I mean, I don't give a shit about any of the other. I apologize for cursing. I don't. I don't care about any of that other stuff. I only want to hear about what the two had to say, and if there's any physical evidence, let's see it. So I don't mind that. I really didn't mind getting into the deeper um, tenets of some of the social media influencers, influencers' opinions about what was going on, or hearing them pile on against one side or the other. Um. This article also says that it focused on the trial sensational moments but lacks nuance in original reporting, which, fair. Um, they said there was a heavy, a heavy reliance on social media commentary, including TikTok creators detracting from the core issues, um, which I disagree, and I'll tell you why. Um, I think the point was to highlight how those specific content creators affected the commentary on this case and how it affected the opinions of the general public as it pertains to this case, because they became, they represented the voice of the people. And so this case, this, this documentary didn't focus so much on, you know, the legal commentators. There was plenty of them out there. Um, if you want the, the legal ins and outs of it, it's pretty simple. Johnny Depp said that what Amber said about her, him in a article that she wrote was untrue. And because of that article, it cost him jobs in the movie industry that cost him millions of dollars and it affected his career. Therefore, defamation, uh, lawsuits. And that's that's really, it's pretty simple, legal issues. The majority of this case, uh, the interest in it had to do with um, the deeper issues pertaining to domestic violence in the world. Because you can't say just America because there was a full-on trial in the UK with these two that took place. This is an international event, an international case, really. Um, 
this article says that the, they missed an opportunity to address the broader societal implications of high-profile abuse cases, which, I don't know. And what this article goes on to say is back in April of 2022, uh, the internet was abuzz with breathless coverage of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard's defamation trial in which the Pirates of the Caribbean star sought $50 million in damages over an op-ed that Heard wrote detailing an abusive relationship with an unnamed man, which everybody knew that it was him. The documentary was incredibly underwhelming. While the documentary puts Depp and Heard's testimony side by side, making it easier to digest at the lengthy trial, which I thought was the point, um, it offers little else to the audience beyond that utility. Um, the only thing Depp v. Heard expands on outside of the courtroom is how the trial took on a life of its own on social media. I think that was basically the point of the documentary. Um, it's clear from the trial that neither Depp nor Heard acted in healthy ways in their relationship, but the docuseries teeters dangerously close to excusing the criticism Heard in um, particular faced online, judging by the outsized focus given the clips of people complaining about her. Well, um, actually, I think that the documentary did a better job of um, exposing like how over-sensationalized uh, people's hatred of Amber Heard was because she had a whole side in it. They even got in some of the stuff that didn't make it into the trial. And at the very end of the documentary, um, in episode three, they highlighted um, a specific portion of evidence that corroborated some of her claims, which in, in effect exonerating her from being the big liar that everybody made her out to be. And so I wholeheartedly disagree with that. Um, there was Another, um, I mean, other critics say that the documentary offers no new insights and is pointless retelling of Johnny Depp, which I agree. And by the way, um, Emily D. Baker, I, you know, she made a new video about this case, and basically what she was doing was rereading the transcripts from the trial. It's like, really? I, I mean, I didn't stick around for the whole show. It was like a four-hour live stream. Um, but, you know, I mean, I could just go back and watch the trial. But she was, uh, you know, putting on a video about that kind of stuff and just going through the transcripts. I don't know if she's trying to only just read the transcripts or she's just trying to offer new insights based on whatever was new in the documentary. In my opinion, there wasn't really anything new. We kind of knew all of this stuff. Um, the Hindu criticizes the series for glaringly lacking uh, an expert viewpoint and considers it a weak attempt at self-reflection. Uh, kind of harsh, maybe. Um, they say that it lacks analysis and instead highlights pro-depth social media commentators and influencers. Yeah, but it also highlighted the way that they kind of changed their course. Um, and when they were presented evidence that Johnny Depp had actually um, done something, may have done something Amber Heard and how they kind of just, you know, stopped talking about it. I thought that they did a good job of, um, if they watched the documentary all the way through, they kind of changed their opinions a little bit. Um, it, it did, you know, they talked about influencers exploiting the trial and expressed the joy in the outcome of mock, often mocking herd. Uh, the documentary lacks the necessary perspective of experts, journalists, and law enforcement veterans. But again, I think that that was intentional. We don't need more of that. There, there was a whole couple of months of that if you wanted to go back and, and rehash. If I were to talk about the trial, I'm probably saying the same things I said back then. What's the point of that? I think the deeper discussion is um, how we treat domestic violence in America, the way that... Um, Males and females are, perce are perceived differently with respect to those kinds of allegations. The Hollywood Reporter describes it as an exercise in futility, indicating that the documentary adds little value to the public discourse around the trial, which, 
what were they expecting? I don't know what they were expecting, but I, I'm just going to say that it, it, it really did make me sick to see a lot of the social media influencers going on and carrying on about that case. And the fact that I felt that leads me to believe that that's probably was their intention on their part. And again, I mean, some of these people were just so like, gosh, people watch these people. Guy with a Spider-Man mask. I'm so curious who that is. Um, the guy with the dirty shirt. There's like this panel of of people. There was, you know, social. Honestly, I don't think that the general public gives two S's about Johnny Depp or Amber Heard. Really, if you have an opinion, you picked a side and you stuck with it and you use this case to advance your opinion. Much like in the O.J. Simpson case, I don't think that people that were happy that O.J. was acquitted gave two S's about whether or not <clears throat> he actually did the crimes or not. They said, oh, well, this is revenge for Rodney King. They turned it into a political thing to advance their opinion because that's what people are so good at doing, um, taking something that's in the public discourse and using it for their own narratives, which is what this case has become. Because ultimately, um, Amber Heard... Um, whether you like her or you hate her, she experienced this firsthand in her life. This was, um, you know, she's been affected by this case. Her career, I'm not sure if it's ever going to be the same. I don't know how great it was before, but, you know, is she marketable now that she's been exposed or ran through the mud for, you know, the better part of a year now since the trial has ended? Johnny Depp is, you know... I don't, I don't know what's going on. I, I expect that he would be okay. I don't think that many people even understood that there was probably some truth to the allegations that Amber Heard. I think the general perception is that, well, Amber Heard's a big liar and Johnny Depp is great. I, I think if you're just half asleep following this trial, that's kind of the impression that you're left with. So that was Amber. That, that was the Amber Heard uh, Johnny Depp documentary um, in all of its glory. Um, I did want to get into a little bit of what's going on with Brian Koberger. Um, just most, most recently, um, his uh, defense team had made a request for an extended trial and it was denied uh, for reasons that I don't have time to cover right now. Um, there's been, but I, I did want to make a point because there's been so much misinformation about this particular case. And there's a lot of for lack of a better term, whack jobs out there on the internet that are putting out misinformation, false evidence in this case, and trying to make Brian Koberger a sympathetic figure, uh, stating that it wasn't him, it was this other guy, and um, it's, uh, it's, it's become rampant. There's like this video floating around that has not been um, authenticated. The reason I know that is because there's still a uh, quash order in place, or, you know, um, where you're not, if you're involved with the case, you're not allowed to talk about the case, much less release evidence of the case that purports to be um, the sound, the official murder of the Idaho Four. And you could hear in that uh, video that there were screams and the timeline was off. And it's basically th this this campaign that has started trying to exonerate Brian Koberger of the allegations uh, that he's been charged with, you know, first-degree murder. Um he has, Mr. Koberger, presented an alibi um, in the case, and it's essentially that, uh, that Mr. Koberger, I'm reading this, there was an article that came out, and it was essentially this, that, he, that hit from his attorney, Mr. Koberger had a habit of driving alone late at night and claimed that that's exactly what he was doing on the night of November 12, 2022. He was not um, 
invading a home uh, to carry out uh, one of the more horrific uh, murder scenes in American history over the last 100 years. Um, He was just driving around as is his practice. That is his alibi. That's what they were rolling with. Now, people have taken that, and they're like, oh, see, he has an alibi. Oh, look, the DNA evidence isn't on point. No, the evidence is coming in for the DNA. Um, the, The motions that were filed by the defense have nothing to do with the veracity of the DNA evidence. It's strictly stuff that is going to be used to uh, lower the weight of that evidence, but that's ultimately going to be decided by a jury. I do know um, that there's going to be experts on both sides. All of this is a lot to do nothing. There's a trial that's going to happen. Um, There's a motion filed on August 2nd uh, by Ann Taylor, which is Koberger's attorney, stating that that Koberger was not claiming to be at a specific location at a specific time, but he was out driving during the late night and early morning hours of November 12th to 13th. Koberger could not identify any witnesses to verify his whereabouts, according to his local CBS affiliate. That's affiliate. That's an interesting alibi to run with. And interestingly, it would be the only potential explanation that would support the findings from the probable cause affidavit that we went by, uh, went off of back in uh, December when we first broke this case. Um, Koberger claimed that he could not have been at the off-campus house where the murders occurred because he was driving. The motion also stated that cross-examination could reveal witnesses and corroborating evidence. The alibi comes after Koberger had asked in June for more time to decide on his defense. Taylor's filing also comes as Koberger's attorneys claimed that the grand jury that indicted him was misled as to the standard of proof requiring for required for an indictment. Prosecutors presented evidence to a grand jury rather than at a preliminary hearing both of which are acceptable under Idaho law. And the defense team says the grand jury should have been told that the standard of proof based on what was presented is beyond a reasonable doubt. Instead, they claim that the grand jury had a much lower standard. Um, The judge disagreed. Koberger was arrested in December 22, um, charged in one of the most gruesome crimes, and then just, you know, detailing the rest rest of it at this point. But, yeah, so the big story, his big alibi was what he's going with is I was just driving around Next week, I'm going to fully get in and analyze all of the defense's motions, why they're not working, why he has a slight chance of potentially prevailing on one of the evidentiary issues related to cell phone data. But I need some time to unpack that. That's not going to be, I'm not going to be able to do that in five minutes and I'm running out of time here. Um, But it is a pleasure to be back with you. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, listening to our show. We're going to be back. I'm going to be um, posting on a more regular basis now. I've actually, in in the process of setting up an in-home studio so I can edit at home. I don't have to come all the way to the office to do that, which would be very helpful. Um, and also record over there. I'm going to set up a miniature uh, microphone and... Uh, audio setup over there so that I could produce videos um, on a more consistent basis. Uh, this month off has been refreshing. I feel refreshed. I feel ready to go, re-energized. I've gotten over this very busy portion of my professional um, situation, you know, with my with my cases, at least for the time being. You know, I'm in a, getting off, coming off those trials, I'm in a bit of a lull, which is very nice. I've had some time to reset, and it feels good. Um, But for everything that we've talked about, thank you so much for listening. As always, as I always remind you, anything could happen in this crazy world. Um, 
Go spend some time with your family. Go out and make some memories. Um, and with that said, I'm going to see you all next week. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening to the entire podcast. We really do appreciate that. And as always, you can find us on YouTube on the Tilted Lawyer Podcast YouTube channel or on your podcast carrier of choice. If you feel we've presented anything of value, please leave a five-star rating, like, and subscribe. We always appreciate that kind of thing. And we do look forward to seeing you all again live every Thursday at 3 in the afternoon. We love you all. Take care. Bye-bye.